Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. I have a question for you. Have you ever worked at a company that has expanded internationally? To be honest with you, I haven't. Here at Drift, we have plenty of customers overseas, but no international office presence. And prior to Drift, I've only worked at organizations that sell here in the U.S., So the concept of expanding into international markets, figuring out how to market and sell to them and provide strong customer experiences inside of them is quite literally a foreign concept to me. But it's in our not-so-distant future here at Drift, so I figured I better start studying up, which is why I was lucky to meet today's guest, Olga Andrienko. Olga is the head of global marketing at SEMrush, where she leads a team responsible for marketing in over 50 different countries. On today's episode, we're going to learn what it takes to carve out a niche for yourself in each and every one of those markets, how to listen to your customers from halfway around the world, and why Olga once referred to SEMrush as the Ford of digital marketing in Germany. But first, it's, it's helpful to have some context on how Olga runs her international businesses, specifically the methodologies driving her team both here and abroad. At SEMrush, Olga has implemented an agile marketing methodology, transforming the popular agile concept that's typically used by engineering teams for her own use, but still maintaining this really strong balance of both autonomy and alignment within her teams. A quick note before we jump in, I recorded this episode from home in the early days of coronavirus quarantine, and I didn't have my normal mic set up yet, so the quality when I jump into the conversation isn't the best. All right. On to Olga and Agile Marketing. Agile Marketing is a transformation and adoption of Agile to our marketing department, which might not necessarily just be exactly what is written in a manifesto, but we try to implement as, as much as possible. So what we definitely incorporated is small tests versus big experiments versus big bang campaigns. So we always try to allocate smaller budgets to some various tests and various campaigns. And we rarely do something really big. And this is what really, well, if you have small budget and if you have a great idea, you don't have to approve that as much as when there is, what, 20, even like $50,000 that you need to really prove and then share the expectations and the results that you want to achieve if you have lower budgets, then your hands are not tied. And a lot of teams, they just don't go up to me. We agree on the budget that they obviously in the beginning of the year, and then they operate with this budget without me approving each campaign. So that really makes it super fast for my teams to execute. And it was even faster. So it's really, I think, also important to mention that our agile marketing is evolving when it's on, it was only so now we're the whole SEMRS is 700 people and we started implementing when we were like 120 overall and then marketing department was 20, 30 people. Now we've grown to 100, which also things more complicated. So when you operate with 30 people, then it's also easier and then you, you trust everyone. You give everyone the opportunity to decide as much as possible when you start scaling, then agile 
just really gets a bit more difficult because I now have a lot more decision-making power than I used to because I need to coordinate everything else with other team leads. So for the companies and for marketing departments that are, I would say, 30, 50 people, agile marketing is definitely something that they have to try and embrace. And then for the, well, when they grow and then it's over 100 people and different team leads, then some of the decision-making power should come or should go from the team level to the team lead level. So when I think about the autonomous product and engineering teams here at Drift and how they're made up and how they work, they're usually some combination of engineers, designers, and a product manager. In Agile Marketing, I asked Olga how she has structured her teams at SEM Rush and how they organize the work that they do. I give example of the team that, so when I only had like six people <laughs> and I was the team lead of a funny team that was called Rest of the World, meaning that we had regional division and we were taking <laughs> of a lot of countries except I think seven. So yeah, well, Nordics, Netherlands, yeah, well, Europe, Middle East, Asia and uh, Latin America, they were all my markets. So we had to manage campaigns for a lot of countries. So I was the team lead that was managing the campaigns or the tasks within the team. And then at the same time, we always had Scrum Master. And this is something about well, agile marketing is, some, is a philosophy, but you should always adopt some framework. So Scrum is a framework and agile really goes well with Scrum. So Scrum is just a workflow, so to say. So what we did, we had three week sprints and sprint is just an amount of weeks or well, it's usually for a sprint, it's two or three weeks. So every sprint starts with planning and we just used the huge sheet of paper, post-it notes, and we put names and we put also countries. And then we ensured that we knew who was doing what for the countries. And basically, we allocated two hours on Monday to write down everything. And then we put post-it notes. And then we had stand-ups. So it's just a, sm a small meeting that was hosted each day. And during this meeting, everyone is standing. And one person can only speak for two minutes. So they say what they were doing yesterday, what they were doing today, and are there any setbacks or challenges? And if they have, then immediately during this time, someone offers the solution and they're going to discuss it after the stand-up is done. So everyone has those two minutes. And that way we ensure that the team is aware of the progress of each team member. And at the end of the sprint, we had the review. So we were reviewing the tasks that we had on the this sheet of paper that's called planning. And also we digitalized it and put in a spreadsheet. So we knew which task, who was responsible for each task. And then we just in Excel table, label it done, not done, removed, postponed or stuck. And then we had a retrospective and retrospective, I think is the most important part. And I actually think that rest retrospective should be incorporated even in a private life <laughs> because I think it's just great because if the team is healthy, only if it does the retrospective. So 
the easiest way to do this meeting, and it's a private, nobody can attend the meeting except for the team members. So we highlighted what was great during the sprint, and we said thank yous to other team members. We just I shared how happy I was about the results of the campaign, or if some other team helped us, or anything like anything that comes to your mind. And then we removed all of the stickers, and we wrote down everything that we were not happy with. So if there is any anything that we were stuck with or there was some internal problem within the team or something was happening in the market that upset us and anything. And then we identified the main pain points because if you see that three team members highlighted the same things, then we obviously, you just cluster all of those post-it notes and identify three main issues and everyone just picks three problems out of everything that was mentioned. And those three problems should then be discussed. And then we discuss the potential solutions and also the person that will be responsible for taking it further. And those three main issues move on to the next sprint. Okay, so to recap, Olga's team uses this agile methodology with four key steps along the way the sprint, stand-ups, a review, and ultimately a retrospective. But that was with her early team, the rest of the world team, as she called it. It only had six people on it. Now she oversees a global team of over 100 marketers, but they're still using this agile method at SEMrush today. So when I asked Olga how she has managed to scale her team all while maintaining this approach, She told me that they've once again broken down everything from the team structure to campaign planning into two major groups, English-speaking countries and the rest of the world. When it comes to English-speaking marketing, then we we used to have the US and UK team and then also my rest of the world team. For example, we had Australia and Canada and, and South Africa and all other countries that are speaking English in India and now it's just really difficult. So we stopped, well, we just removed those teams and we just have the team that takes care of social media, then takes care of the communications with opinion leaders. Then there's also email marketing team, PPC team is separate. So the English speaking world is defined by channel, while the non-English speaking world is really, well, just girl dependent. That's super interesting. And then, you know, a lot of our listeners are in operations or in marketing operations. Are there different marketing operations folks embedded within each one of those teams or are they kind of more of a centralized resource? Depends on the channel. When you have a lot of emails being sent out, you need a centralized decision maker. So email team is really separate from this regional marketing because if each team starts sending different emails to our audience, then they're gonna well we don't have we won't have a lot of subscribers left, I think, within two months. So there should be a team that accumulates all the, the efforts and also prioritizes what needs to be sent out. And the same with paid advertising. So they have a lot of requests on what needs to be advertised, and then they also see depending on the product. So if they see that the conversion is high within the product or that we get a lot of sales from a specific country, then the priority would be higher for the product or the country 
or both. And then if a small product within SEMrush or, well, we need a local campaign for Netherlands, then the priority would be lower compared to, for example, the, the product campaign for U.S., So while the English-speaking market may have centralized resources, a lot of these country-specific markets operate completely on their own, which brings us full circle back to the rest of the world. Today, Olga's team is responsible for the SEM Rush brand in over 50 countries. And for someone like me, who has never worked in a business that has any international offices, this is wildly interesting. I wanted to go back to every single decision. How did you market differently? How does the messaging change? Do you have to have offices in every single place you sell? How did you pick where to go in the first place? Like I said, I'm a novice here. So we started expanding aggressively, I would say four years ago or so. And I probably have to start with how I picked the markets that we decided to pay attention to. So I looked at obviously revenue and uh, growth. And we identified the baseline at the point where we wanted to, I cannot name the numbers, but I think it would, it was just, okay, I see top 10 markets. That's fine. I also see then the another 10 countries that bring the highest revenue per month. And then obviously, well, top 10 countries would all already, uh, they definitely get their own team. So those are the countries that, for example, US, UK and Australia, they're our top English speaking markets. And so US and UK got their own teams instantly. And then France, Italy, Spain, for example, they were like top European markets. And then we looked further and we also analyzed our position on the market. So for US, obviously, well, there was Moz and a couple of others. And but the, uh, we still were within top five, I guess, six, five years ago. So, and it was obvious that well, US was growing. Then in Europe, and well, for example, in UK, in UK is the country where all of the European software companies want to have presence. So, that's the bloodiest market. Then we looked at our competitors more. And for example, in Germany, well, the majority of our European competitors, they are located in Germany. So for us, it was, we knew that we probably won't make top one ever, but that is strategically very important. So that's why Germany... Did you go towards your competitors or did you try to avoid them? We have different approaches and... We were not using the same tactics, but we just thought that we definitely need a team and we definitely need to localize. We need content. We need communication in German. And I asked funny question to my German team. So I went, I flew to Germany once myself and then I started watching. So I saw that I just looked at cars going on the road. And so four cars were German and then suddenly there was four. Then also for cars German, and then suddenly that was Renault or something else. So I just went to my team and asked, can you identify who drives the Fords and Renaults in Germany? So there are people, Germany, for example, Germany is really, really, really loyal to their own products. So they definitely will choose their own car, well, cars that are produced by German manufacturers and other products also that would be German-based. But there are people living in Germany choosing something else. And us being US-based, then I thought 
okay, there are people that have different mindsets and we have smaller markets. So probably that's every fifth person that would choose SEMrush. But there's still those people who has who have who make different decisions. So these are our customers. I love this analogy. The Ford of digital marketing. I can imagine galvanizing an entire team around this concept as you're breaking into a new market. All people need is that angle, that opening. I'm excited about it and I wasn't even there. Now that's good marketing. But there wasn't a one-size-fits-all or a cookie-cutter approach that Olga and her team could take. They had to carve out their place in every single market they entered. So let's say the biggest company in our market in Germany is Search Metrics, and that's an enterprise solution. And our plan is 100 or 200 bucks. So we won't compete with search metrics in Germany. We have to go to those local businesses that cannot afford to buy a tool that is worth a couple of thousand, but they would definitely be able to buy the tool that was worth $200. So that's the difference in the markets and also search metrics only SEO. And then we were offering by that time also advertising and content and social media. So they definitely, this is this is the niche that we, we needed to tackle in Germany. And so small and local business was our niche. And in Brazil, for example, we started doing marketing through PR and we were featured in main newspapers. We were our data was on TV, and also we started working with opinion leaders. So there we had a lot of social proof. But what we had to do once in Brazil when they had biggest crisis that we lowered, we had the special prices for Brazil because they were not able to afford hundred dollars at all. So you've literally carved out different messaging, different positioning, different place in relation to your competitors in every single one of these markets. It's, it's not consistent across each of the markets. That must be pretty difficult. Yeah, that was, well, that's why we had a lot of teams doing that. And in US, our brand is called SEMrush. And in, U, in UK, that would be SEMrush. And if you hear our mention in France, it would be SEMrush. Ourselves, we say SEMrush, but when I will be talking to a client from UK, I would be naming our brand differently. So we even went to be localized to the, well, to our best ability. So with that, I'm curious, you know, you, you clearly made this bet on this hyper local messaging. Does that also mean that you have to have presences inside of each one of these markets? Do you have offices and local marketers in each one of these or can, can they be handled from, from different locations? For example, you know, one office in the UK handles all of Europe. How do you think about that? We don't have offices in all of those markets. So we have three offices in the US and we have big European office in Prague and then development offices in Russia and Cyprus. So these locations were not, obviously, well, US is headquarters in our biggest markets, but Prague is just a nice city where it's easy to relocate people from all over Europe. And it was just yeah, decision that was not based on uh, any revenue we get from Prague. So I believe that and by the time we actually were becoming market leader in SEO in US, I was not traveling to US at all. And I was I hadn't moved to US at this point. So my team was working 
well, from Europe. And I am sure that now with the power of online marketing, you don't have to be present in the country to win this country over. So I guess, how did you go about learning, right? So your example about the Brazilian market reacting much more powerfully to PR, how do you go about learning that lesson from however many miles away? Trial and error. So that's, I think, that's where agile marketing really helps us. And also, uh, we have one of the principles is customer-focused collaboration. So we really listen to our customers, and that helps us a lot. So we react to feedback immediately, and we work with opinion leaders. And that's how we tapped into a lot of markets. So we just worked with clients who were influential. And I don't mean that they had to be really huge, well, best-selling authors, or they had to speak like to on the biggest stages. So I'm talking also about micro-influences. The difference between um, this is a regular happy client and a client who is an influencer, the influence is a lot more critical and they, they share a lot more feedback and they want you to change. So that is, I think, a really powerful, not only, well, not only because of word of mouth, but this is a powerful connection that you can build with people in the local market who would help you adjust locally and who would ensure that your product is tailored to market specifically. I was sending messages on LinkedIn uh, when we were, for example, entering Australia and India. Then I was sending messages of saying, well, hi, and I was not offering anything. So I just said, I work for Simrush. We are a search marketing tool. Please let me, well, if you have any ideas how we can help and serve Indian SEO community better, I'd be happy to chat. So I actually was just asking for help or for some input. And that's what has gotten us to really, really good place and then has built a lot of connections for us because we were never asking for promotion. And we were always asking for the input. And influencers are people who want to help and then who want to change the world for the better. That's why they are they become influential. So that's a really good trigger for them also to participate because they also feel that they can influence a big brand. And for them, it's just something that's their bread and butter. They just they, they keeps them motivated. And suddenly, well, the aftermath of this is that they started chatting about us because they felt emotionally invested. So it's a win-win situation when they feel that they had they've made some really big impact, and at the same time, you get this help from local market. At Drift, we talk about the idea of hand-to-hand combat. It's essentially converting customers and the people we interact with into brand advocates one experience at a time. One email, one phone call, one extra touch that someone didn't expect. Olga's doing the exact same thing here in a way that will create powerful advocates for SEMrush all over the world. Now, of course, expanding to over 50 countries doesn't come without some pain. So to help all of you, and me of course, to avoid this future pain, I asked Olga what she's messed up along the way. In regards to mistakes, really painful was our, well, our internal mistakes are most painful, and that's poorly localized or translated email that brought us in the bad places. And we got really a lot of criticism for language in Italian and in French. 
And so do you end up just hiring local native speakers to be able to solve that problem? Or how did you rectify that? Yeah, we have uh, native speakers in each team, but it's a never-ending struggle because if you have a lot of communication, if there's a blog post written, and then you also have social media channels, you have email newsletters going. So that's just a lot of content. And sometimes if there is a global news that's coming from English-speaking product marketing, and it's been localized by email team and then if the um, regional team hasn't really checked what's been written, then it's a nightmare. Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? In the last six months. Hmm. I enjoy the one that I'm reading now, and that's about podcasting. So it's a one and only book that I found um, that's called Make Noise. And also, I really love the book by Ben Horowitz. His most famous book is Hard Things About Hard Things. And then he's written another one that's called What You Do Is Who You Are. And it's about the company culture. Yeah, the Ben Horowitz book is, is making the rounds quite a bit at Drift right now, but I'm going to have to check out this podcasting one. It's a pretty timely recommendation. All right, next one. Favorite part about working in marketing? Talking to people, I think. I can do it for free for the rest of my life. <laughs> Least favorite part? Internal conflicts when different teams had different targets. Although the end goal is the same, but they're, well, one team is measuring themselves by like organic traffic and the one is measuring them by conversions and they have the same channel. Let's say it's blog and aligning those team is through conflicts. And that is least favorite part of my job. Whenever you want, you can come back. We can do a whole separate episode just about that topic by itself. I think a lot of team leads now just maybe felt they have the same pain. Yeah, totally. Someone who impacted you getting the job you have today? My previous CEO, Hannes Sarpo, he, is, he was the CEO of a bus company I was working for. He has really influenced um, the way I think and treat my job, my team, and the company I work for. That's amazing. And last one, one piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday? Say yes, even if you're scared. <laughs> I think, well, it's just, I never had any issue opening any door I wanted just because even if I was afraid to take some challenge, I just closed my eyes and just went and asked for it. And a lot of times I just did something without the permission. And if I was sure that was the right decision and I just kind of fought for it. So I think that if you want to do something or if you just not sure but it feels like the right thing just say yes not be afraid and probably the another advice to put company first so I think that's also something that got me through my darkest times in my career when I had to fight for the decisions or just like I was the one who were chosen to be promoted is because 
I always had companies' interests first and my private, well, my personal ones second. It really feels and it really shows. And a lot of people say that it feels like SEMrush is my company. And if owners or if you, well, managers feel that you care that much, then you will be the first one who they promote. Thanks so much to Olga for joining us on this episode of Operations. And thank you to Felipe from the SEM Rush team for helping to set up that interview. We were coordinating time zones and movement all over the world. So thank you so much to both of you. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a six-star review on Apple Podcasts, six-star reviews only. It really helps other people to find the show. Also, if you're enjoying listening to these episodes and you're not subscribed, please subscribe. It'll show up in your feed automatically every other Friday. If not so much for the content, show up for the amazing new cover art that we just got. Shout out to Michelle Balaban and Dan Myers on our marketing team for putting those things together. Dan took all the photos. Michelle did the amazing design. It's incredible, incredible work. So I thank you both so, so much. All right, that's gonna do it for me for this episode. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next time. 